This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, good morning and welcome to another Tech Talk right here on High FM. And we're getting all science fiction-y this show. There's so much interesting stuff going on. But definitely we're going to be talking about flying cars. And how's that? Well... Maybe they're not quite cars, but we're talking about flying Ubers a little bit later and all sorts of things sort of science fiction-y. But more closer to home and maybe not quite as terrestrial, but DSTV uh, have been in the news for all the right and wrong reasons over the last couple of weeks. And they've gone public, they've published their latest results, and they were pretty good. But there was quite an interesting um, sort of wrinkle in the whole results presentation, which is is really indicative of how things have changed over the last little while. But their results for the year ended 31 March um, 2019 showed that they really did quite well overall. They've grown in Africa. They've generally um, performed and beaten expectations on a financial side. So if you're a share investor, maybe it's a, a good share. But what did come out of it? was a significant decline in DSTV premium subscribers. Last year, before they went public, they mentioned that they had lost somewhere in the region of 40,000 premium subscribers. And the premium subscribers, without question, are their most profitable. Um, And that's certainly a, a problem for them, I would imagine. And a lot... They tried a lot of different things. One, they brought out their streaming uh, platform, which you can get now. It's called DSTV now. You can download it on most smart TVs, on most uh, on Apple TV, on quite a few of the sort of streaming Android boxes. So you can watch the entirety of DSTV, stream it when you want it, how you want it. Adverts are included, which is quite interesting. But um, you can even watch live sport. So streaming means you don't need a DSTV box anymore or a satellite dish, which makes a lot of sense. So if you've got high-speed fiber, it's quite a good way to get to DSTV. And it's free if you're a premium subscriber. They also had a price freeze for 2019. And even that did not stop uh, subscribers from cancelling their services. So obviously the rise of streaming, the rise of Netflix, especially in the more affluent areas, the ones that have fiber or high-speed LTE to the home, are definitely cutting into um, into DSTV's premium subscription base. And I mean, around about 809 rand a month plus the nine, this is what always got me, I must tell you, the 95 rand per month PVR functionality. That should be standard. Why would you want to, why would you charge or want to pay extra just to have the ability to record a show? Who records shows today? I must tell you, I've got my son in the studio now. I don't remember last when they recorded a show and played it. He's not going to speak, but anyway, <laughs> he's waving at me. But it's true. The younger guys, who records a show today? If it's not viewed over streaming, it's not viewed at all. And that seems to be the universe that we work in. So Netflix, um, Amazon Prime, and a host of other, even DSTV's own Showmax, has definitely cut into the the need to have a DSTV subscription or a DF, DSTV satellite box. All these streaming subscriptions can be watched pretty much, I wouldn't say anywhere in the world, but anywhere in the country, on any device that you own, in your bedroom, on your laptop. It doesn't matter where you are. You can watch TV, all the choice stuff through streaming. And I think the whole multi-choice business model needs um, 
a real shake-up. And the shake-up is happening whether you like it. But understand the, the economics of this. A lot of people have said that you know, Netflix is a lot cheaper than DSTV. What they forget is that Netflix needs a broadband, uncapped um, fiber or or whatever connection. Generally, fiber is the best, and f- and that can cost anything up to seven hundred rand. So when you add the hundred and fifty rand Netflix, depending if you want the four K or not, um, you're pretty close to to DSTV pricing. And here is an important thing. There is no question Netflix, certainly South African Netflix has come along in leaps and bounds. There's tons of international product, thousands and thousands of series, and Netflix do an amazing job of continually refreshing and bringing new and new product to the market. But it is not even close to the sort of product range, depth, and access that DSTV gives you. DSTV generally keeps right up to date with all the latest series from all the latest networks globally, and you just get for maybe 100 rand more than 700 rands worth of uh, ADSL uh, fiber and a Netflix subscription, you definitely get a lot more um, content, a lot broader range of content, and of course, if you're into sport, there's just no other game in town, DSTV or the boys. But watch this space, there's no question they're going to have to try harder to keep their premium subscribers, and in the meanwhile, they're still making money, so that's all good news. So we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. There's a new raid-hailing, not hailing, Hailing app in Johannesburg, and guess what? It potentially is cheaper than Uber. Now they launched um, last month in Cape Town, well earlier this year, and I've seen them. Uh, I've seen them uh, internationally. It's an app called InDriver, and this app actually aims to compete with Uber and Bolt, and Bolt is the old Taxify in Johannesburg and Cape Town by offering cheaper rides. Due to bargaining. So if you don't enjoy bargaining and you don't enjoy messing around, maybe this app's not for you. But essentially what it does and how it works is you go onto the app and you can download it right now in the Android and in the Apple App Store. Um, and it's called InDriver. And what you do is you put in where you want to go and then you put in how much you're prepared to pay for that trip. And then the drivers who are in the area can bid and say, okay, I'm prepared to do it for 20 bucks. You said 10 bucks, but I'll do it for 20 bucks. And another driver can come online and say to you, I'd like to do it for 25 bucks. So, or, or 15 rand. So you can get into a little bit of a bargaining war with the various drivers in the area and say, okay, I'm cool on Tabo, who's driving the Corolla. He can come fetch me for 20 bucks. Done. And that's how it works. And the app facilitates all this. And the drivers have got the ability to see who you are and to take you from point A to B. And you can see the fare and it's a fixed thing. The in-driver also charges the drivers no commission for the first few months. So they're trying to get them onto the platform. Now, what's going to happen, I can assure you, is all the guys who've got who are already on Bolt and on Uber are going to add InDriver to their little repertoire of, of apps. And if they're not so busy and they really want to push the limit and maybe get a couple more drives in for the day, it's actually a great way to bargain and to sort of haggle a little. But as I say, it's, it's, it's not 
a fixed thing. It's not as simple as just hitting the Uber button, hopping in the car and going, or the Bolt button and hitting the car and going. But it does give you the ability to get involved in a little bit of haggling and a little bit of negotiation about the best drive. And often that will work really well for long drives. You know, if you're going to save five bucks on a drive, maybe that's not a big deal. But if you're driving far, like to Pretoria or somewhere, you know, the airport, you can maybe negotiate 100 rand or 150 rand off a trip. And that can be pretty, pretty um, interesting. The, the app itself, and I've played with it, is very, very similar to every other ride-hailing app. It shows you who's available. You put in your destination. It's got all your, um, it's got all your um, various information. So it's exactly the same as Taxify or Bolt and Uber. But theoretically, it will be a little bit cheaper. So if you're interested in saving a few rand on your, your various Uber trips, have a look at InDriver. Um, as I said, I've tried it, I've looked at it, I've tried it outside of the country, and it actually works extremely well. So here we go. I'm going to be talking a lot about Uber and flying cars in a little bit in Tech Talk Cafe in a few minutes. But this is just another addition to the ride-hailing um, stuff that's going on and the whole way that the world is going with uh, everything in, as a service and everything on demand. Well, again, I've been getting a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, a lot of messages around what is going on with Huawei and what is happening with the entire ban. The news broke over the weekend that um, the impact seems to be a lot more extensive and a lot more costly than anyone, including Huawei, had anticipated. The latest indications are is that Huawei are going to lose somewhere in the region of 30 billion dollars in turnover over the next two years and many many countries and many operators around the world have stopped buying Huawei devices until the the whole matter has been sorted out and the implications of this are enormous there's also been a lot of announcements a lot of press releases around then their own operating system because if you haven't uh, understood what's going on with the whole Huawei ban. Essentially, round about the 14th, 15th of May, America added Huawei and 70 of its subsidiaries, so it includes every company associated with Huawei globally, to what they call the entity list. The entity list is a list of companies that American companies cannot do business with due to st security concerns around those companies. It was a huge, huge blow for probably one of the largest. They were number two in handsets globally and number one in uh, mobile technology and certainly one of the leading companies in 5G, which is starting to roll out globally across the world right now. Not that they had any sort of penetration in America. Handsets are not Huawei handsets are not available in the USA and no or very little Huawei equipment is allowed to be used. And that's, you know, mobile equipment and other sorts of network equipment has been allowed to be used in the core of the network. Some parts are being used in antennas and radios, but no core networking equipment has been allowed from Huawei and, and other Chinese companies for quite a while in the U.S. But this step took it absolutely to the next level. And the consequences were very simple. Huawei can not, in terms of that um, restriction, offer any Google product to anybody on any phone or any device that they make. In fact, it goes further. They cannot even offer Windows 10 on any laptop that they make. 
A 90-day extension was granted till the 30th of August, and here we sit in the middle of June, and we've got six, seven weeks to go or eight weeks to go, and before you know it, that, that time will come and go. At that point, no phone that is manufactured by Huawei will be able to um, use Google services legally and with agreement with Google. <clears throat> For you guys, anyone out there who's got a, an Android phone from Huawei or on a Huawei phone, which is based on the Android operating system, as I understand it, and I will clarify this as we go along, once you've bought the phone and you've signed up with your, your Google email address, the agreement to use the Google services is between yourself and Google and not between you and Huawei. So your phone will continue working. All the Google services will continue to work on your Huawei device over the next couple of years, and there really shouldn't be any problem. But it is a significant challenge to Huawei. It's going to create a lot of uncertainty amongst its loyal fans and, and, and users. And even if they sort this out, it's going to be a big problem. So the the, the impact is massive. It's going to cost Huawei a ton of money. And um, let's see where this all goes in the near future. So we're just going to take another quick break for our sponsors. And then I'm back with Tech Talk Cafe. And we're going to be talking all about flying cars and the science fiction of hopping in and flying over a city. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. Two huge, not huge, but two significant events. And one potentially huge event happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, in the tech world. And the first one was the Uber Elevate Summit. Now, they call it the Elevate Summit because they're talking about the future of mobility, the future of cars, the future of obviously being Uber, the future of, of transportation as a service. And this was held in Washington uh, last week. And a huge amount of really, really interesting um Information was shared. The key information is that Uber and many of its partners. Now, it's not just Uber. There's no ways Uber could do this type of stuff alone. They certainly do have, obviously, a head of Elevate, which is a division. And there's no question that they are going to try to launch Uber Air in um in the nearish future. And the key is to offer it at scale. So if you thought traffic jams were bad on the M1, can you imagine if there's a whole host of little aeroplanes flying above the M1 or through Joburg? It's, it, the, the, the potential complications of offering an aerial ride hailing service. So we were talking about, you know, Taxify and Bolt and, and all those guys and, and you can bid for your own. But imagine if you can get picked up by a little helicopter thing that drops down, you hop in, and it flies straight up and takes you where you want to go. Um, that is complete and utter science fiction. But they were showing, and in fact I'm looking, if you go and have a look at uber.com and just search for Elevate, you will find some of their, their pictures of some of their vertical takeoff helicopters and which then switch around and become almost airplanes to fly you to your destination. It is pretty insane and and in fact, they have got, along with a lot of their partners, Boeing, a lot of aircraft manufacturers, they've actually created these vehicles. They're working on them. There's a lot of time to go. I don't expect to see them in the, in the skies very soon. But uh, a couple of cities in, in the U.S. have already been found, you know, been set up for trials of this. So we're going to start seeing trials of Uber Air coming coming very, very shortly. But the benefit to all of this is 
most cities are, are transforming. There's huge changes happening across the globe with regard to transportation. The car industry is gearing itself itself up for a massive change. In fact, Volvo, Ford, Toyota, all these guys are actually building specific models for ride hailing. Some of them are going to be autonomous. They'll have no drivers. Others will still have drivers. But the fact is that the cars themselves are changing shape. If you're not interested in uh, buying the car yourself, who cares what it looks like? So it needs to be comfy, have bigger legroom at the back, more space for luggage. So all of a sudden, cars are getting a little bit more bulbous and a little bit bigger and more bussy, if you want for a better word, simply because they're being used for completely different reasons. They're either taking people to and fro, they're working all day. The way that cars are actually built, because a car that is designed for the average urban traveler gets up in the morning, drives 10 to 15 k's max to work, parks the car, drives another 10, 15 k's home, the weekend does a couple of k's to the mall, to the shops, to the to the soccer match, whatever. So you work it out, 10,000, 15,000 Ks is maybe the top amount of traveling that the average car owner would use. And the cost of that, we won't even get into that in this show, but the cost of owning a car, the insurance, the parking, the cleaning, the service, you name it, the tires, all of that adds up enormously to do what, 10,000 Ks a month. But now take an average Uber car, they're probably doing 10,000 Ks a week. On average. So the tires wear out quickly. The motors wear out quickly. The bodies wear out quickly. So the, the whole nature of transportation, the whole nature of cars is changing. And this is definitely something that Uber, with their links and their massive connectivity to all the motor industry, uh, and now the airline industry, is looking at this very seriously. So the whole nature of motoring, the whole nature of cars is changing. And there's no question, and as was highlighted, at the show, that the whole style and way we're going to travel, and they're talking 2023. By then, Uber plans to give riders the option for an affordable shared flight. So never mind the Gau train. It makes perfect sense. Imagine if you could catch an Uber Air from O.R. Tambo to Santon. Could certainly do it in a lot less than 17 minutes. And it's so cool. Imagine flying over Joburg and getting to your destination. So that sort of stuff needs enormous collaboration because one, air flight or air travel is much more regulated than car travel. You need all sorts of government and industry players to give um, all their testing and all the certification and the policies and the regulators. So it is a much, it's much, much, much more complicated than the current ride hailing services. And yet between the, the operators, the investors, the manufacturers and, and the infrastructure providers within the cities, there's definitely a need to bring this type of urban transportation to many, many cities. Certainly in some places like Europe where things are very compact and there's masses amount of public transport, perhaps not so much. But in, in emerging markets, places like Joburg, in Africa, South Africa, Nairobi, lots of places, the option to have a really fast, efficient and um, long, medium to long distance where you can't take a normal plane and cars, I mean, the for example, you take Nigeria, you take um, Kenya, Nairobi, the amount of traffic there, you can spend four or five hours sitting in a car, be it an Uber, be it your own car, 
just to go nowhere. So from meeting to meeting, if you have one or two a day. Now imagine if you could sidestep all of this traffic and be within any distance, 15, 20 minutes. It completely changes the way that you do business, changes the way a city operates, um, the way that deliveries are done. I mean, there's no question. I talked last week about what Amazon are doing with drone deliveries of, of, of items. So the whole future of transportation is in massive flux. And it was clearly highlighted at the Uber Elevate um, conference that this is not science fiction. They've launched all the necessary components to start this. The actual types of, they even showed some um, prototype vehicles that can do it. And Melbourne in Australia, along with Dallas and Los Angeles, are already signed up to be the first cities to offer Uber Air flights. And they begin, they are saying they want to start demonstrations in 2020. Now, 2020 sounds like a long time away. Well, here's the news, people. In six months' time, it's going to be 2020. We are going to see 2020 in six months, which is mind-blowing. Here we are 20 years into the 20th century, and it's ridiculous. We're going to have flying cars in cities like Dallas, Melbourne, Los Angeles, and I'm sure many, many, many more. And the aim with these cities is to have commercial operations in three and a half years' time, which is, again, absolutely mind-blowing. In three and a half years' time, you'll be able to hop into an Uber Air car thing, device, helicopter, plane, God knows what they call these things, and go from point A to point B and charge it to your Uber app. <laughs> That'd be quite cool. Swipe right and there's Uber Air. I mean, you know, you've got Uber X and Uber Black and now we're going to have an Uber Eats. So you can maybe order and take your Uber Black to the Uber Air place and then take your Uber Air to wherever you want to go and order some Uber Eats. Uber want to own your life. I can see this. But it is absolutely spectacular how fast and how quickly this has come. And these are really vertical takeoff devices or, or planes. They can drop down pretty much anywhere. As I said, the biggest, biggest challenge will simply be the regulation and how to manage it. And they've shown a couple of um, s scenarios where it is vastly, in a place like San Francisco where things are really spread apart, you've got bridges, you've got bottlenecks everywhere. Cape Town is a lot like that as well. You could do... You could take 15 minutes to do something that would normally take one hour, 40 minutes by car. So the options of this are absolutely insane. And the various people are working really hard. They're starting to build what they call skyports to, to house the Uber, the Uber Air fleet. And um, these are going to pop up pretty much anywhere. So you'll have your little how train station with its skyport attached. So all the various aircraft partners, all the big guys are involved, Embraer, Bell, Aurora, which is a Boeing company, um, Pippus Rel, now I've never heard of them, but they make small urban aircraft, and another bunch called Corin Airport a Aircraft. So there's a huge industry-wide collaboration going on, and I think we're going to see massive trend towards this type of service. And it even takes things further, because one of the reasons people still put forward to having a car, yes, Uber's great if you're running around town and you're going out for a drink these days with all the cops and their breathalyzers, much preferred not to drink, or if you do, use an Uber. But on that little safety notice, um, 
I got stopped, and they tried to get a little bribe out of me. But luckily, no drinking went on in that trip. So the whole way that we travel around South Africa, the whole way we travel around the world is going to change fundamentally. And we're not talking science fiction. We're not talking far into the future. We're talking next year. And in the next three years, you'll be able to combine an Uber Uber terrestrial trip with an Uber air trip and then catch a plane to wherever you need to go and not worry about having a car at all. So huge, huge change coming in the aviation and mobility market in the next little while. And I can see we're running out of time really quickly. I can talk about science fiction and Uber Air and all this for a lot. But another massive announcement came out um, yesterday, and it's to do with Facebook. Was it yesterday? I'm, I'm losing days with this short week. But Facebook launched a cryptocurrency and the crypto fanatics have gone nuts. Now, most of us have heard of Bitcoin. Bitcoin has without question become, in fact, I think at High FM, we're so lit and we're so out there. We even tell you what the Bitcoin is worth. I have my own view on this. But the fact is, Bitcoin has become well known as the boom and bust, make money or lose money cryptocurrency of the day. Well, Facebook have launched a cryptocurrency. And just to give you a little bit of clarity so you can tell your friends and family what this is all about, it is not the same thing as Bitcoin at all. It is based on something that Bitcoin is based on, and it's called the blockchain. And the blockchain essentially is a database. But it is a massively distributed database based on cryptography. And what that simply means is that all transactions are using massive crypto encryption or encryption and security, which makes the blockchain a growing list of records like any database. In other words, you just keep adding records to it that are linked to each other using this cryptography, which gives you security. And each block contains a unique hash or number of the previous block, a timestamp and transaction data. So by design, blockchain is completely resistant to modification. Most databases, if you have the necessary access, you can log in, you can make changes to the records, you can fiddle around like FNB gave everyone a little bit of extra money this week and then took it back. I think that's very rude of FNB. But anyway, those sort of things can happen with a traditional database. With a blockchain database, it cannot happen. Once the chain has been created, there's an absolute data trail. Us accounting and auditing types love the concept of having an absolute trail of everything that ever happened to that piece of information. And there's virtually no way to falsify or to affect or interrupt the blockchain. And that's what made cryptocurrencies so interesting. So the other promise of cryptocurrencies is very low cost and very fast transaction time because it all happens over the Internet and it's all happening without any banks or anyone's involved. But the major, major difference between what Facebook have launched with their cryptocurrency and their cryptocurrency um, is called Libra. They're going to be offering Libra to anybody, and they've only got 3.2 billion people on their platform at one stage or another. But what, they, what they're offering the whole Libra thing is, is a payment mechanism. So it is not a currency per se. It will not be 
um, the same as a rand or a dollar or a yen. And in fact, what is so interesting is that you will always have to have a rand or a dollar or a yen to get a libra. So it is not this, and it's the same with, with, um, uh, Bitcoin, but the difference really between Libra and Bitcoin is that one, it, yes, it's based on blockchain technology, but two, it is not independent of the current financial system in the world. Facebook are too big. They cannot, I mean, their partners in this are MasterCard, Visa, no major banks or currencies as yet, but at this, this stage, it's going to be a very different proposition. And the main value proposition of Libra will be, um, their they have a wallet, um, and that wallet will give you the ability to convert currency into Libra and then take those Libra and share them transparently, quickly, cross-border, and aimed mostly at the emerging markets. Now, the amount of cross-border transactions, the amount of cross-money flows between Africa and the developed world, between Asia and the less developed parts of Asia are absolutely Unbelievable. There is billions and billions of dollars, yen, pounds, you name it, transferring from some economies to other economies. And there are massive ways of doing it. There are so many exchanges. You have to go into little places in Manila and, and draw money and take money. Um, there are tons of expensive – the banks have always been too expensive for this. So a whole second-tier level of money exchange has come up. And what um, – Facebook are trying to do because everybody has Facebook. Once you have a, a Facebook app, they can build it directly in is offer a simple, easy and global methodology of moving money from one place to another. Ultimately, it's up to a vendor. So if you're a vendor of fruit, vegetables, meat, whatever services, if you want to accept Libra instead of your local currency, that's up to you. And it theoretically will be possible, they say, down the road. But the key differences between Bitcoin, which is a, a no-value-based technical currency created from nothing, people mine it based on blockchain technology, which is totally separate and totally different to the actual Bitcoin itself. What Facebook are offering with or, or, or doing with Libra, they've set up a completely independent governance association, and they will control like a central bank for Libra to manage it. They will also back every Libra that's created with real money. That's the difference. So one Libra, whatever the conversion rate, rand, dollar, yen, whatever, will have a fixed value. So there will be, if there's a Libra in the system, there's an actual currency somewhere backing that. So it will be stable. It won't go from $2,000 to $8,000 to $20,000 and then back to $2,000. They do not want this to be a speculative currency in the same way as, as the other cryptocurrencies have been. Essentially, what they're building is their own brand transfer currency, a currency that can be used to trade and to work globally in a frictionless, safe and secure environment and allow, theoretically, more and more people to use Facebook so they can get more data and sell more advertising and make more money. So don't for one second think they're doing this because they're altruistic. But it's an actually a brilliant, brilliant idea. Instead of going to the, to the FNB and, and, or Standard Bank or any bank and filling in multiple forms and no matter how slick they try to make it, just try to send a hundred bucks to your cousin in another country. It becomes a huge mission. And there are many people in certainly the emerging markets that don't have credit cards, they don't have 
banks. They don't have access to systems, but they use Facebook. And it would be brilliant if they could now start being able to receive and transmit money, pay for services in a, in a very low cost, very safe manner, and in a way that we've all grown up. I mean, a lot of people now have just grown up using Facebook. They're quite comfortable sending messages. So they'll be able to send a message, send a picture, do something, and pay for their goods. So you're going to hear much more about Libra. You're going to hear a lot more about um, the various cryptocurrencies. But don't think for one second that this is the same as Bitcoin. I still think Bitcoin is a great gambling and a speculative thing. You can make a lot of money, but you can lose a lot of money. And like, you know, using slot machines, there are always a few winners, but mostly it's paid for by a ton of losers. So I think Facebook are onto something. They're Libra currency using what they call the Calibra app to you to, to interface and to buy and sell Libra is just begun. It's been announced. And it has the potential to shake up financial services globally on a scale that nobody has ever seen. As I say, two, 2.2 billion active users on Facebook every day. Uh, it's, it's, it's a captive audience like no bank currency in the world actually has faced. But they're playing nice. They work. They're talking to all the various regulators and currency people around the world. So this is going to be a very, very different thing. The fact that it's called a cryptocurrency is because that is how it works. And it's based on the blockchain uh, methodologies and systems, which is brilliant. It brings that along. And who knows, in a couple of years, it might be the dominant world global currency, which is pretty much what um, Bitcoin wanted to do. But there are so many issues around Bitcoin, not least its, its volatility and the speculative nature of it. So watch this space. I think we're going to see a huge amount uh, coming out of Facebook and globally around its Libra currency. And on that note, I can see I've completely uh, run over my time. We have another quick break for our sponsors, and I'll be back with Gadget of the Week. I've got a cool laptop in the studio right here, and um, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. Now that we're all cryptocurrencyed out, and hopefully you've got a bit of a handle on the difference between Libra and Bitcoin, and um, I, I'm sure I've made it quite clear. I'm not a big Bitcoin fan. The technology that underlies Bitcoin, the technology of how the, the blockchain uh, system works, it's transparent. There's a lot of detail in it, but it's fast, it's secure, it's low cost, and it completely blows all legacy systems that banks use to um, transmit money around the world and even around a country right out of the water. In fact, I have it on really good authority, and I've spoken to a lot of banks. They're all looking at this type of technology because of its scalability, because of its cost, because of its, its robustness, because the one key thing in, in these cryptocurrencies is that your database does not exist in one place. So if, heaven forbid, the Standard Bank data center, and I know they've got disaster recoveries, and I'm only using Standard Bank as an example, but if their, their data center goes down or is destroyed, potentially you could lose everything. Well, here there are thousands of data centers around the world, hundreds within a country. Take a couple of them out. It may slow things down a tad. You might not even notice, but because of the nature and the technology and the blockchain, you would never lose your information. You would never lose your money, and it would be entirely safe. And using cryptographic keys that are massively secure, 
Again, it's secure, it's predictable, auditors absolutely love it. Now, moving on to uh, a gadget that I've got sitting right here in the studio, something that I've always wanted and I've watched for many, many years is the growth of the Microsoft Surface tablet stroke laptop. The idea of having a really a 13-inch tablet that uh, or, or laptop that convert to a tablet very easily, full touch screen, all fully integrated, is is great. And the reviews of the various products in that range have been excellent over the years because the usage of computers has changed a lot, and a lot of people prefer to have a convertible tablet rather than a simple, you know, regular old laptop, for want of a better word there. And Toshiba <clears throat> have just released a brand new range, their Portage range, and it's, I love their, their terminology and numbering, it's the X3230T-E. So if you can remember that, you're better than me. But anyway, think about the, the, the Toshiba Portage X30 series. And what this is, is very, very similar in many ways to the Microsoft Surface. The challenge in South Africa is that Microsoft have not launched the Surface. Some people have them. You can buy them from certain suppliers, but there is no infrastructure for service support. So if something goes wrong with your Microsoft Service Surface, you drop it, you break the screen, you need a hardware repair, that product has got to leave the country, go to the USA, go to the East, go somewhere to be repaired, and then come back, which is a huge, huge challenge. There's also no technical support. So if you have a minor issue, you want to fix something, get a new cover, again, a challenge, not easy. Well, Toshiba have brought the Portage X30 range, and I must tell you, in most cases, it feels and looks very much like the Microsoft Surface. I don't want to take anything away from Toshiba, but they have a long history of making some really good quality, high-end products. And this is a high-end product. It retails for roundabout, depending on the various memories and, and, and hard drive space that you want, for roundabout 34,000 rand. So it's not, again, you always need to look around and check it out. But it is a full 13-inch Windows 10 tablet with a little kickstand at the rear. It runs some of the latest um, Core i7 Intel processors with decent integrated graphics, so it pretty much can run almost anything. It's the equivalent of any sort of high-end XPS, um, Dell XPS or um, Apple uh, Apple MacBook Pro type hardware in a very slim, very solid body, and the body is made out of magnesium, which makes it extremely um, tough and strong. It has fairly large bezels, which is unlike some of the more modern sort of bezel-less uh, devices out there. So it's quite quite big for a 13-inch device. It's probably a 14, 14 and a half inch. It's also got some really interesting cameras. It's got a full eyesight camera, which gives you the ability for facial recognition with infrared. And it comes with two extras that are absolutely brilliant. You don't have to add them on. It's part of the thing. It comes with a full lockable Laptop style and laptop connected. Um, so it's got an HDMI cable. It's got a standard old analog video cable for presentations. And once that's locked to the, to the, um, the top end tablet where all the processors, all the memory sits, which makes it a lot thicker than the average sort of screen of, of, of a laptop. But the two together make an exceptionally well provisioned laptop. It's solid. It's a solid base with excellent keys. I've really enjoyed using it. And um, in combination with 10 hours roundabout of battery life, full Windows 10, a really 
excellent touchscreen. I must say that it's one of the better touchscreens that I've used. It's very sensitive, very easy to touch. Uh, normally can't do Word or Excel spreadsheets on a touchscreen, but I must say on this new Toshiba X30T, I've really been able to do that with ease, so it works really well. And if you want to go on the road and you don't want to take your, or if you've got, for example, your keyboard, the bottom dock, for the X30T on your desktop, all hooked up to various cables. All you do is you push a little button on the side, pop the X30T off the top, and and plonk on the travel keyboard, if you want to call it that. It's magnetically attached. It simply clips on the front, and off you go with a very light, very easy uh, laptop. Again, slightly big because of its size and slightly heavy because of the batteries involved to give it uh, but certainly very, very, very portable. You've got a great uh, convertible laptop you can use as a tablet. Take the, key- the keyboard just simply pops off. And what I found, the kickstand is you can set it at any level you want, so you can make it high, low, wherever you like. It's got LTE built in, so you can pop in a SIM, and it's got all the various ports that you need. Obviously, the standard version without the um, without the sort of laptop dock only has a USB C. But it has a fingerprint reader on the read, on the back. It's got facial recognition. It's just absolutely everything you would want in a, in a decent quality, high end combination laptop. So you've got a full laptop with a, the bottom keyboard. You've got the travel keyboard, which has actually got very good keys. You can do a lot of typing. The touchpad's actually excellent. I was also very impressed at the quality of the touchpad along with a combination of, um, touchscreen. So, I think Toshiba have really come back with an excellent quality product, the X30T. Um, as I say, it comes in various different models, RAM, you name it, as these things do. But if you're in the market for a, a new laptop and you were thinking of a convertible, or even if you weren't thinking of a convertible, here is pretty much a complete package. It's got everything. It's got it's got every connector that you want in its in its solid dock, if you want to call it that. And for travel, and when you're on the road, you can simply pop it off, um, pop on the magnetically attached keyboard and cover, and you've got an excellent travel laptop with very usable keyboard, very usable mouse pad, and all the power to run absolutely every Windows 10 app that you could ever think of. Again, Toshiba have got great service and support in the country. They've been in the country a long time, and um, the quality really does show. Magnesium shell, and it's just an excellent excellent alternative to the traditional laptop and certainly brings the sort of Microsoft Surface style tablet computing experience um, officially to the country. So well done Toshiba. I'm very impressed with this device. I think it's it's not inexpensive. It is definitely a high-end product, but it matches all the other high-end products in that range. And in terms of its versatility, I don't think there's there's pretty much anything else out there complete with an LTE modem built in. So it really covers absolutely every base, and it's probably the most versatile laptop that I've used in a long, long, long time. Where do you get it? Well, go to Toshiba.co.za or Toshiba.com forward slash ZA. Either one works, and you can find out who stocks them, where you can get them. But I've seen them online from quite a number of suppliers, at various prices, always, always important to check it out online and to see what's going on. Um, and, you know, it really can do the job that you want at, uh, I think, a fair price. They are more expensive and they are less expensive. But at this sort of executive level where you need something that is 
simple, easy, and high quality, then the Toshiba simply, simply ticks all the boxes. To travel with the full keyboard maybe not be a great idea. I must say that's the only thing I did find. It becomes very heavy when you clip on or lock on the full solid keyboard base, but it's not really necessary. Well, on that note, we're going to have a quick break for our sponsors. I'm going to come back with an update to an app that we all use and something that you should always do with that app straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, we're in for the last few things, and definitely, definitely, every single person who has a phone uses one app, probably more often than they would ever imagine they would, and that is Maps. Whether you've got an iPhone with Apple Maps, or you've downloaded Google Maps, whether you, well, Android phones all come with Google, with Google Maps built in. Google Maps started off as a very useful tool, but over the little, over the last little while, the um, functionality of Google Maps has increased in absolute leaps and bounds. A lot of us, and I've often said for driving, there's probably no better app than Waze in pretty much every urban area around the world. <coughs> Excuse me. The dryness in the air is getting to me. Waze was an Israeli invention which was put together on Google Maps and added a social layer which allowed Wazes to talk to each other and update the maps in real time. And as the scale grew and Google actually bought Waze uh, a couple of years ago, Waze became more and more useful. Now, what they've done in the latest version of Google Maps, and I hope that all you guys are updating your your apps on your various phones more and more and more, but if you update your apps now and have a little look at Google Maps today, you will find that it is, has Advanced in massive, massive uh, ways. You've now got in the new Google Maps, SA drivers can see, and this is particularly in South Africa, all the speed traps are now there. So if you go anywhere with uh, driving, even if you know the way, uh, in fact, Mark, my son, asked me this morning, why are you putting on ways? Don't you know the way to get to uh, high? And of course I know the way to get to high. But you never know if there's a speed trap. You never know if there's a roadblock. You never know if there's a traffic jam. So Waze is brilliant for that. But now Google Maps have incorporated most of those features. The rerouting is the same. The amount of information regarding speed cameras, roadblocks is now the same. So all these abilities, um, you can actually see your speed limit in Google Maps. You can see lane uh, which lane you should be in to take the next off-ramp. So Google Maps has definitely come along a huge way in the last little while, and it is an absolutely indispensable indispensable part of driving. So if you go anywhere, even if you know where you are going, just put it into Google Maps and see what's along your route, and I promise you it will make your life a lot cheaper, no more fines, a lot quicker, no more roadblocks, and maybe a couple of breathalyzers won't catch you, um, though I don't advise that at all. This is a health warning here on Chai. So on that note, and the Google Notes map, I'm being told it's time to wrap it up for another edition of, Chai, of Tech Talk right here on Chai. Till next week, this is Stephen Ambrose.